It's Peter Wright and Kathleen Beauvais in Ontario, Canada, with episode number 81 of The Yacking Show. This is where we talk about life, business, and more, with a bit of philosophy thrown in and an occasional dive into politics, but that probably won't happen today. But the main purpose is to bring you tips and ideas for a changing world. As always, we have interesting guests. Today's guest is no exception, but it's Kathleen's job to introduce our guests. Before I hand over to Kathleen, just a quick one. If you like our show and if you would like to be advised of future episodes, please consider subscribing by hitting the button below the screen on whichever platform you are watching this on or on an audio podcast platform. That's enough for me for one day, so I'm going to welcome Kathleen. Hi, Kathleen. How are you doing on this somewhat gloomy day, isn't it, in southern Ontario? <laughs> it surely is, Peter. How are you? Um, and thank you so much for to everybody for tuning into our show. We so appreciate you. And um, we love reading your comments. So do please keep them coming. And if anyone out there is interested in becoming a guest on our show, please don't hesitate to reach out to either Peter or myself. And as Peter mentioned, we do have another special guest with us today. Her name is Tara Mondu. Tara, welcome to the show. How are you today? Hi, Kathleen. Hi, Peter. I'm great. I'm so happy to be here with you today. Oh, wonderful. So Tara, you are an editor and you are an author and you've written a book titled Little Girl in the Mirror based on your mother's childhood, which we'll, we'll talk about a little bit later. But first, tell us a little bit about um, a little bit more about your background. Sure. Well, um, I guess before I was married and had children, I worked as a production planner in an automotive company just outside of Cambridge here in Ontario. Um, so that was a wonderful job, a wonderful career for 13 years. And then when we got married and decided to have babies, um, I was lucky enough and fortunate enough to be able to stay home with them. And, uh, and really for the past 13 years or 14 years, I've been very busy in my community doing a lot of volunteer work. So I work with a lot of community development organizations. I've chaired several different um, board of directors for nonprofit organizations. And I tend to really lean toward building community, building neighborhoods um, with my work with uh, block parents, um, several different neighborhood associations um, in cooperation with the city of Cambridge. Wow, <clears throat> quite quite a variation there. Yeah. I know we get, we're going to ask you more about your uh, community work a little later, but <clears throat> something that um, caught my interest when I was looking at your bio there, that you edited two local publications at one time. So tell, tell our audience a little bit about that. That's right. So it's, um, it's a, a company called Best Version Media, and they run all the way across North America. And so what they've done is they have small um, publications for very specific neighborhoods. Um, so like I said, across the United States, across Canada, in my case, uh, there were two publications here in Cambridge, um, and I worked with the publisher and my title was content coordinator. So what I would do is interview small businesses in the community, I would interview families, I would work with the photographer um, uh, to, to do the, the front cover, I worked with designers, I wrote a lot of the stories and I basically did all the editing for the, for the two magazines. Mm, wow. Yeah. My goodness, that, that's very impressive, Terrace. But in 2017, you co-founded a writer's support group called the Cambridge Authors. Can you tell our audience a little bit more about what this support group was about? 
Yeah, I find with myself that um, if there's something I need and I can't find it, I usually end up creating it myself <laughs> to fill the gap because I'm assuming there's other people just like me out there. So when I decided to write a book, um, it was really a passion project. It wasn't because I was a writer at that time. It wasn't because I had taken an English course in university or anything like that. Um, it was really just because I wanted to write a story, but I also felt I had a lot of questions and I couldn't find a lot of answers. So I, would, I started sort of going around Cambridge and I went to the library, I went to um, other writers groups, and I was looking for something not really about critiquing writing or about learning how to write per se. I was really interested in learning about how the mechanics of publishing a book. So, okay, you can write a book fine, but how do you publish it? How do you market it? How do you promote yourself? Who's your target audience? Who are you going to sell it to? How are you going to sell? Where are you going to sell? So I had tons and tons of questions and I couldn't find a lot of answers. And so, but when I was speaking to people, they all had the same questions as me. So I said, well, let's just get together and we will share our, what we know so far. And then if we can't find the answers we're looking for, we can pull in the experts. So I couldn't believe um, how many writers just in Cambridge, and we're not a large city here, we're part of the region of Waterloo, which consists of more than 550,000 people, but Cambridge is mm -hmm. you know, quite small. And uh, if anyone lives in Cambridge, they know it's divided into three um, smaller cities. So, but just even in Cambridge, um, my group right now, when we meet, we meet face-to-face -face once a month uh, for two hours. And you know how hard it is to get people to come out to a meeting. Well, we have no problem. We have 20 to 25 people every single month coming wow. to every meeting. We also have a private Facebook group where there's upwards of 80 members. Wow. And that really does consist mostly of just writers who live in and around Cambridge. <laughs> so what we do is we, again, don't talk about writing per se. Um, what we, we go around and we talk about our wins and our challenges. So in the past 30 days, what did you consider a win? Um, what in 30 days did you consider a challenge? So then we start compiling the challenges. And if we can't help each other out, like I said earlier, we pull in the experts, whether it's an editor, a publisher, um, an event coordinator, that sort of thing. So it's a support group in the way um, where we're supporting each other through that process. But what I found is writers are lovely. I am a little bit more outgoing than a lot of the writers that I know. A lot of the writers that I know happen to be a little on the quieter side. Mm -hmm. um, and so what they have a hard time doing is running an event or being in the spotlight or holding a whole event by themselves. It makes them really nervous. So what I did in cooperation with the um, library organization in Cambridge, it's called Idea Exchange, and there are six different locations. So I started working with them and I created events to give these authors an opportunity to talk about their work. So um, along with all the other stuff I've done, I've sort of become a bit of an events coordinator as well. <laughs> Very good. Wow. Oh, wow. That's very, I've got something else to ask you, but before I forget, um, a couple of months ago, we, we interviewed a whole string of authors that we had got into contact with from the States. And a good friend of mine, well, virtual friend for many years on the internet called Chuck Bartok is a marketing guy and he specialized in help in helping authors, especially first time authors. And they have quite a thing going, remember Kathleen? So mm -hmm. we must send you their links because you'd okay. find it interesting to talk to some of them. Um, one in particular, Nancy Lou Henderson, um, 
when she started writing her first book at the age of 68, I think, she started putting a page at a time on her blog. In fact, she started as a blog and then turned it into a book. And it's now a series of four books and all doing really well. So that whole story is there with that group. Be interesting for you anyway. I wanted to ask you about your work as public relations director for Guitars for Kids. So I'll tell you how I, I when I saw that, I thought, oh, I know about Guitars for Kids. Um, Kathleen and I used to go to an event in Kitchener, Mo Mondays. I don't know if you ever heard yes. of it. Okay. There yeah. was a speaker the one time, I think he spoke and he played the guitar. I can't remember his name, but um, I would call him. Did he have a him... long beard and a shaved head? Yes. Uh, yes. <laughs> That's the I... president of our, um, it's Guitars for Kids Waterloo Region. His name yep. is Dan, and uh, he's a good buddy of mine. And he's actually the one that inspired me to want to become a part of the organization. So if you were able to speak with him, he's a genuine article. And I'm sure. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And. Him. What, what happened? I, I learned to play, well, I'm trying to learn to play the guitar late in life. And my very first one I bought, excuse me, was a disaster. And I needed to find it a home, but it would be okay for a kid. So I spoke to him when I heard him talk about it. And he said, yeah, we'd love it. It doesn't matter. We'll, we'll fix it so a kid can play with it. And I ended up leaving. I live in Woodstock. Left it at a nightclub in Woodstock for him to pick up. So... It's a good organization, that is for sure. And I put a few other people onto it that um, have unused guitars. So well done. So what do you do there as public relations director? Um, so just to go back a little bit, I mean, I love writing and I love reading and movies, but I love music. So whenever, when we can get back to it, my husband and I really enjoy going to um, smaller venues and listening to live music. It's our passion. Um, so you just can't help but once you start going to these small shows, you get to meet the musicians, you get to meet their friends, and one thing always leads to another. Mm -hmm. um, and so when I met Dan Walsh, I just wanted to be a part of what he was doing. It was so inspirational to me as a community person to take music and to be able to receive in those donated guitars, like you explained, and it could be any guitar in any state of repair. If our local luthier cannot fix that guitar, then, um, sorry, if he can fix the guitar, so that it's playable, then we donate them to kids within the region um, or outside of the region too, we're not too picky, who maybe wouldn't otherwise be able to get a guitar. Mm -hmm. um, so, and then what we also do is get donations from local music um, stores and music lessons so that we can donate those lessons to those kids so that not only do they have the guitar, but they have the lessons to go the lessons, with it. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And so what's great about Guitars for Kids is there's several of them across Southern Ontario um, so that if, you know, if we reached all the way out to Woodstock and Dan Walsh would drive to the ends of the earth to get a guitar and to deliver a guitar, but there's several, um, locations all around Southern Ontario. And so what I try to do is what can I do to help? And what I can do is I can write, I can edit, I can help with events and I can help with, um, Facebook, social media, website promotion. So that's sort of where I come in to help with Guitars for Kids. Oh, very good. Wonderful. Excellent. Kathleen. Oh my goodness. Now, in the intro, we mentioned that you wrote the book, Little Girl in the Mirror. Yeah. Can you tell us how you came to write that? Sure, I can. Um, so, yeah. So, my whole life, um, growing up with my mother, she always told me stories about her childhood. And we saw we call it such a wretched, wretched childhood. She it was miserable. And I was always so sad to hear that she had this awful childhood. And so she would tell me these stories about, you know, this babysitter she had. And it wasn't just a babysitter. It was a woman that they lived with. They lived with her for five years. 
and her name was Mrs. Wren, and that is her real name. And this woman was just sort of, she became sort of a monster in our house. She became the big bad wolf of our house. And, um, and I'd always hear my mom talking about this woman and how, because this woman, because of the woman, she felt she didn't have a good relationship with her own mother. So my grandmother. So I always thought that was sort of interesting. Like how could a babysitter or a woman who took care of you when you were little affect your relationship with mm -hmm. your mother? I always thought that was really interesting. And so I always said to my mom, you should write this down. It's such a, it's a, it's a neat and interesting story. And it would probably be somewhat therapeutic if you would write this. So she, she's, oh, I'm not a writer, Tara, you're the writer, you write something. Anyway, so very unfortunately, my mother passed away in 2010. Mm -hmm. And I'm the kind of, I'm the person in the family that when someone passes away, and there's been a lot in my family, I don't, unfortunately, I get a lot of the things. I get photographs, I get letters, I get diaries. And I started going through all of these things as we do when people pass away. And I started piecing together this story with more detail than I'd ever known before. And I just kept saying to myself, I really should write this down. It really is quite a story. And uh, so I really was just planning on writing it down. And a girlfriend of mine said, you should write a book. And I, you know, of course, we're like, oh, I can't write. I can't write a book. But then I started thinking about, could I? And so I started making some connections with some people that I had known that had written a book. And really one thing led to another. And um, when I actually sat down to write it, it only took me 10 weeks to get that first draft together. Um, so I think it was just meant to be. It was something that mm -hmm. I had to do. Yeah. Very good. Wow. So, and, and what conclusions did you get to when you did all that research? Um, how this person had so much influence in the family? I th well, I think to give you a background, a little bit of my mother. So when she was born, she was born to a single Irish Catholic unwed woman. Um, my grandmother, she came from Cape Breton, Nova Scotia. She had left Cape Breton as an 18 or 19 year old to go to Brantford, Ontario to work for the war effort. And she, you know, I think she was kind of a good time girl. <laughs> I might have gotten a little bit of that from my grandmother where she loved to, to go out and to sing and to dance. And she unfortunately got pregnant. And in 1949, 1950, that wasn't going to be easy. Mm -hmm. So she had to give her baby back up to her mother who lived in Cape Breton. Uh... So her little girl was brought up by her own mother for the first five years of her life. So Kathy is... Um, the little girl in the story, who's my mother, when she was five, her mother came back to get her and said, I'm going to take care of you now. So I think to begin your life by not even knowing who your mother really is for your first five years, sets a foundation of instability. Mm -hmm. And then to come to Stratford, Ontario was where they went to try desperately to find a place that would take a woman and her daughter um, to try to find work, to try to find daycare, to try to find any sort of um, services or anything. I think it was a desperate time. And I think mm -hmm. um, I think that's kind of what you hear a lot of stories about a lot of family drama and trauma coming out of that time. Um, yes. So I think it's just, it's a result of a single woman trying to struggle to raise her child, found themselves in a situation that was desperate that they really couldn't get out of. And that's just, it's, and what ensued was five years of um, misery, really, that that uh, I think sort of set the, the tone for the rest of their lives. Sure. 
Mm -hmm. Oh dear. Tragic. Yeah. And unfortunately there was a lot of that in that era, wasn't there? And thank goodness things have changed a lot since then. Mm -hmm. uh, I know that Kathleen's going to ask you about how people can get the book in a moment, but I wanted to ask you about the award you got for communication. I saw that. So tell our listeners a little bit about that. Thank you. I did mention that I got an award and then um, to prepare for this interview, I had to pull out the award because I couldn't remember what it was. <laughs> <laughs> So look at this crazy thing. Can you see the size of it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nice. Wow. Anyways, it's called the Bernice Adams Award, and it's for communication and literary arts from 2018. Um, so I was nominated for that award, I think because of my work with Cambridge Authors um, okay. and just really working hard with these authors and these artists um, and with the city of Cambridge to, to find these opportunities for them um, to be able to showcase their work. Oh, well done. Very good. Congratulations on that. Yes. I, kudos to you, Tara, for doing all the volunteer work that you are yeah. doing. My goodness, I, that's very impressive. I don't know very many people that have done as much volunteering. As you, so <laughs> you're, you're well-deserving of these awards. So you also are a chairperson for the Waterloo Regional Block Parent Program. Um, for the audience that we have, coming from all over the world. Tell, tell our audience a little bit more about what that is exactly. Yeah, so the Block Parent Program actually started in London, Ontario um, in the late 70s. And um, it's, it's, it's basically a neighborhood safety program. It's the idea that we, back then, um, children walked to school, they went to the park, they went to the store, they would play outside. You guys remember when we were kids, we would take our bicycles and be gone until the, the street lights came on. You know, our parents were kicked you out of the house and said, go have fun. And you learn to be creative and you learn to be independent and you learn street smart. And I think that helped us as kids go on into the world and, and um, conquer the world and be yep. able to problem solve um, and be able to do well, you know, going off to university or college or starting your first job. Um, it's so important for kids to feel independent out in the world. And so I feel in the 70s and now today, um, if we can encourage children to go outside and feel safe while they're doing it and make sure their parents feel safe, mm -hmm. we've created the Block Parent Program. It's a simple program. And if you become a Block Parent, you get a sign. It's a large sign and you put it in a window that's facing the street. And it's an indication to the community that you're home and you're available if there's an emergency. So if, a, and, it, and really the idea is that if a child um, sees your sign, they're taught in school that the sign means you're home and you're available, that you've been screened by the police, you've been trained and that they can knock on your door and feel safe and that you, the block parent will then place a phone call, whether to parent, guardian, emergency services. Um, so ultimately what it does is it just encourages families, people, um, our seniors, you know, we have a lot more uh, larger senior population now than ever mm -hmm. before. A lot of them tend to live at home um, and they go for walks, but sometimes they might lose their ways. They'll remember that block parent sign and they know that they can come to your house and knock on your door um, and look, uh, ask for assistance. Uh-huh. So very, very good idea. Yes. <clears throat> and is, is the, do you know, are there similar systems in other parts of the world? I'd never heard of it before I came to Canada. 
So in its heyday, I would say in the 80s, there were hundreds of local uh, block parent programs across the nation, as well as the United States. I believe there was even a few in Australia and even Brussels, I, I think, um, mm -hmm. a few countries in Europe. Um, it's been waning somewhat uh, in Canada. There's, you know, with every organization, every non-for-profit, funding's always an issue. Mm -hmm. Finding volunteers is always an issue. Um, but the Waterloo Regional Block Parent Program, we have never stopped in over 40 years. And I've been with wow. the program for, it'll be 12 years coming up in June. And um, we've sort of branched out from our sign holder program. We also work a lot with active and safe routes to school. Um, just, you know, getting kids to, to be able to walk to school again instead of being driven every day by their parents. Mm -hmm. Very good. Over to you, Kathleen. Um, how do people contact you and how do they buy your book? Okay, so my book, I think, can I just show it? Will it work on sure. Zoom if I do this? Is it yes. backwards? Perfect. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is what my book looks like. And if you have my book or you've seen my book and it doesn't have this across the top, that's because what's interesting about writing these days is everything is print on demand. So if you self-published your own book and you wrote it and you love it and someone said, oops, there's a little typo on page 58, instead of being really upset and, uh, you know, calling your publisher and they're like, oh, well, you can actually take your file, quickly do that edit and then re-upload it again. Um, so what I've been able to do, uh, because my book was published way back in 2016, but this past year I've worked to re-edit it mm -hmm. and to get some reviews and some testimonials. Um, and so one of my favorite authors, the one who actually inspired me to write this book is a gentleman named Sheldon Curry, who's from Cape Breton, who's um, a wonderful author and playwright. And he actually gave me a, a lovely review testimonial. So I put it nice. smack dab on the top of my book. So um, if you're looking for my book and you're online, you can find it anywhere. Of course, Amazon, Indigo, uh, Waterstones, Foils, all those places. Um, and then down here in Southern Ontario, uh, any chapter store, you can go in and order the book and they can order it in for you. Uh, you can also just simply go onto my website. It's terramondu.com, nice and simple. And you can go there. I've got video clips, radio interviews, lots of photos, um, lot, lots more testimonials and information. And of course, there's a contact page on my website. If you just send me a quick email, um, I've been known to deliver hand deliver books to people here in the region. And I've also been known to, to mail books too, if it's not too far or too expensive. So no matter uh, where you are, or what you're doing, I will make sure to get a book into your hands. Very good. I got one more question, if I may, Kathleen, we've got a couple of minutes left. Um, what advice in a couple of words, advice, aspiring writers, someone says, I think I've got a story. I don't know what to do next. What would you advise them? Just start. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, good don't point. Don't spend too much time. Just start. Don't spend too much time worrying, overanalyzing. Um, even, you know, you're supposed to write in a, uh, an outline. You're supposed to know the, the beginning, the middle, and the end. You're supposed to know the character arc. There's lots of things you're supposed to know before you start writing. But I think that will bog you down. So what I would recommend is get your pen and get your paper and just start writing your little heart out. Don't over-edit yourself. Just get the story out, and I think it'll come to you organically that way, more emotionally. And then that emotion 
will come across to your reader. And I think that is what endears a reader to an author is having an emotional connection. Um, so just to start, just get the pen to the paper. And then if you can find a bit of a support group of like-minded people who are sure. where you are and who can support you and help you. Cause there's nothing better than um, having some friends who are doing the same thing that you're doing. Good, very good advice. Excellent, good. So Thanks Tara, I'm curious, you said that your, your mom unfortunately passed away in 2010. Yes. And your book got published in 2016. You wrote the book after she had passed? Yes. So she had no idea that you were going to write this book? Oh, she knows. <laughs> 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 Quickly, I'll tell you that I went to see a medium before I put my pen to paper because I was very doubtful. And the medium, to a T, described my mother. And God loved my mother, but she loved her wine. So the medium <laughs> said, there's a short woman here with dark hair. And my God, does she ever smell like red wine? That's my mother. <laughs> she said, she's here and she's telling you to start writing. And so like I felt like, I, yes, my mother was telling me from the other side to, to get my pen and get my paper and get going. <laughs> very good love it very good well i think that we're out of time for today so tara thank you so much for joining us we so appreciated hearing your story and as again kudos to you for all of the wonderful volunteer work that you do um it's so deserving any award that you get is so deserving because we need more people like you in this world absolutely thank you um, so thank you thanks tara yes yeah, so, so on uh, behalf of Peter and myself, thank you all so much for tuning into our show. We so appreciate you and uh, love reading your comments. And once again, if anyone out there is interested in being a guest on our show, please don't hesitate to reach out to either Peter or myself. So until next time, take care. Bye-bye.